This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 39. This is Geeks Unleashed, episode Oh. <laughs> it's that it's kind of episode, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 39. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. And I'm Stephen. Thanks again, Stephen, for joining us. Yeah. Um, each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are the first two episodes of Superman and Lois from the CW and we are starting our first movie of the sort of monster movie marathon that we're going through this month with Godzilla um, from 2014. And spoiler warning, this is a review show so if you have not had a chance to watch the first two episodes of Superman and Lois on the CW or Godzilla from 2014. You might want to pause this and come back later. And then at the very end of the podcast, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. And kicking off this week's spoilers, week. spoilers, spoilers again. WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've shoved it into news rather than doing a review. Um, I think if we were to do a review, it'd be a whole episode. Uh, so Yeah, there is a um, lot to unpack with WandaVision. Yeah, well, I mean, nine episodes, there was a lot to cover. The first two episodes feel like they were a long, distant memory. A distant memory, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they didn't even feel like the same show. Like, once I started watching the other episodes, I was like, this first two episodes were not indicative at all. No, no. Uh, Oh, yeah, no, I I was actually chatting to someone today, and he said um, he wasn't interested in watching the show at all. And I said, why? And he said, well, the trailers just put me off. And I said, the trailers of, like, the sitcom type thing. He was like, yeah. He said it just looked like Bewitched, and I didn't like Bewitched. And I was like, look, you need to watch it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to say any more, but it's going to get ruined for you very quickly if you don't actually go and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And we're going to ruin it now if you haven't watched it. So, <laughs> Stephen, so, have you caught up? I have, yeah. Okay, it's okay. funny, when, when Mark was talking about <laughs> talking his friend into watching it, I, I I could see him like pushing him up against a wall. And- <laughs> Very fervently, listen. <laughs> Two things you have to do. <laughs> anyway. No, it was on the phone, but yeah. Like, so, uh, <laughs> Just to clarify, it was over the phone. Yeah, yeah. We're not allowed to see people in this country. We're not allowed. That's right. That's allowed. right. You guys are way more strict than we are. Oh, it's ridiculous. Mm. Well, I don't know how they police it, like, but you go on the you go on the road and there's so many cars, and I'm like, what do they do? How do they know? Like, mm-hmm. like, how do they know I've left my area? <laughs> do they have psychic, please? Uh, yes, anyway, they do. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the ending of One Division. So uh, I think it did a fairly good job in wrapping things up. Wonder has fully embraced being Scarlet Witch. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, they call her Scarlet Witch. Her outfit now is a definitely an MCU version of her comic book costume, and I'm glad they didn't go with the cheesy. One which we did have a couple of episodes ago, and they did a Halloween, yes, the episode, Halloween episode, uh, which I thought was pretty cool because yeah, because it, it had was... old school vision and oh. old school Quicksilver. It was good. Oh yeah, yeah, that no, was good. And, um, so yeah. we we find out that Agnes uh, Agnes essentially loses her powers uh, to Wanda. Wanda is pretty badass and um, you know wins the day, and then she kind of locks Agnes away in her nosy neighbor persona that she chose for herself, which wasn't really heroic but i think that's where we're going with this is probably a darker road of wonder um unfortunately 
she does lose fake vision and she does lose her children uh, at the end of the episode. But she does decide or does to release. She? Well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Um, and then, um, anyway, so then the real vision is back alive. However, he's completely white um, now, and they have done white vision in the uh, in the comics. So I've never read them, never read that particular issue, but I know twenty or so years ago. Have you seen the cover of it with the the white vision? Stephen? Yeah, like, yeah, John Burton. Um, yep. Um, anyway, so then we have two end credit sequences after Wanda leaves the town. So Monica Rambo is taken to the movie theater and we are greeted by a scroll, which I thought was pretty awesome. And the scroll tells her that a mutual friend wants to see her. And in terms of that mutual friend, she points upwards. And if anyone has seen the second Spider-Man movie, we know that, um, Nick Fury is now in space with the scrolls. So I'm assuming that she might show up in, I would assume, Captain Marvel 2. The second end credits sequence is very, very minute, probably probably less than 30 seconds. And we are taken to a secluded mountain where Wanda's sitting on the porch drinking coffee. And then we start sort of going down a hallway to another Wanda, which I'm assuming is that she's that powerful now that she can kind of be in two places at once, unless unless she's just <clears throat> is one of them and is projecting herself. I don't know. But anyway, the other wonder is casting spells and reading um, magic books, but you can hear the voices of her children, mm-hmm. which are saying, help me, mommy. So um, what's going on? Oh, the other thing I wanted to clarify, which was something I had massively got excited about, which <laughs> I kind of feel a bit disappointed about. <clears throat> I think everybody uh, got excited about it though. Fake Quicksilver is 100% fake Quicksilver and is not the Quicksilver from the Fox Marvel Universe. Instead, he's some guy called Ralph Boner. Um, <laughs> what a terrible name. Uh, so, what an unfortunate name. So um, that is the end of the Wonder Spoilers. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, what, do you, what do you both think? Did you enjoy I loved the relationship between Wanda and Vision. I mean, sure, Wanda is in the wrong for kidnapping an entire town and keeping them under all this mind control for that long. Yes, 100%. But I did love her love for Vision. And Mm. even though, like, as the series progresses, he kind of realizes what's happening and that he they don't belong where they are. Um, But he never kind of loses his love for her either. So their their love transcends dimensions and such. Mm -hmm. I, I was a bit disappointed that they didn't show the original Vision and Wanda actually reuniting. They flew off, but I assume that they're saving <clears> that for Doctor Strange 2 or yeah. something else. So we'll see. Well, and I, sorry. Here you go. Actually, one of the things I like, I'd like best about the whole series was uh, Vision. Uh, they gave him much more personality mm-hmm. than he's had up to this point, and they made it much more poignant. Uh, he has some of the best lines yeah. most thoughtful lines um any sh- like any show i've watched the last year or so uh he's just said some really beautifully written uh dialogue and I, what i think is kind of interesting I, to kind of echo what jasmine was saying um she's not a uh, heroic really um she's an anti-hero and she she acts selfishly several mm-hmm. times and really she she left she didn't stay to pay the price she flew away to go do what she felt like she needed to do it was very much a setup and i actually think it's 
I think it's really more interesting to split them up at the end mm-hmm. because is she the is she the person that Vision would have any interest in now? You know what I mean? Because she's changed, man. Like yeah. that was when she was fighting um, Agnes. You get the sense that that something broke in her, and she was like, you know what? If this is what everybody tells me I am, and this is what everybody wants me to be, and this is what I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's anyway. That's just I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it I think it did a lot to set to set a really interesting trajectory for characters that have been secondary and tertiary really in the in the mcu but yeah i'm excited i i love anti-heroes so i i love the idea that she could potentially be a villain and at one point even monica rambo is like don't don't let them turn you into the villain and wanda's kind of like well what if i already am the villain um so i would love to see her kind of embracing the dark side as we progress through the rest of the mcu do you like you like anti-heroes like anti-heroes like hector and <laughs> like the darkest the darkest character ever created <laughs> anyway sorry that's a tangent but i do i do love villains i almost love villains more than i love the heroes so i love yeah. a really good bad guy so if you can if you can come out swinging then i'm gonna be in your corner like i love a good yeah. bad guy so well if if wanda becomes a a, a kind of threat uh she'll be one of the most interesting villains the mcu has had you know what oh, I mean? yeah. um and she's, she's got a huge backstory so anyway sorry i tangent it big time that's <laughs> <laughs> fun. No, fun i wonder like i mean i sort of did say about could it be when, when they introduced the fake quicksilver i wondered if it was going in the direction of house of m like you know the whole no yeah. mutants but in reverse but actually this could be leading up to the sort of a a big event because in House of M, like, you know, the Avengers and the X-Men had got together to decide what to do about Wanda because she was just too powerful and she'd become, you know, gone such a dark road. And I think that was when Bendis was writing the Avengers. Um, so I'm interested to see now where they're taking Wanda because Wanda was such a secondary character. Like in the Avengers films, yeah, she got a bit of screen time in Age of Ultron. But other than that, she's been really, you know, lower tier so I, I think getting these nine episodes really fleshed her out and mm-hmm. actually to see elizabeth olsen i'm such i'm so impressed with her as an actress now like mm-hmm. i i would be keen to see other things that she's in um and paul bethany as well as vision like you said he had some amazing lines actually mm-hmm. one line he said i think it was last episode where they flash back and um he, he said what is grief if not love persevering and that's really like stuck with me when they were referring back to um, Wanda's brother dying um, mm-hmm. so yeah no I, I really enjoyed these nine episodes and I think anybody that sort of lost interest in the first two just go back and yeah because the first two are not indicative at all um, at right. all it, it does not keep that tone not even a yeah. little bit yeah um, they made a one one offline as well in this about Wonder cancelling her show, which I yeah. thought was quite quite meta because <laughs> this is obviously a miniseries. So. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, we'll we'll bring that to a close because we could be here for ages talking about Wonder Vision. But overall, I really loved it, and I'm I'm really excited to see where all these characters go now. It was fun, but I am totally ready for an action-packed Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Oh, That's yeah, what I'm looking yeah. forward to. I watched, do you know what? I watched that trailer again. It's about the fourth time I've watched that trailer. I, I tried to stay away from trailers, but um, I'm really excited for that. Mm-hmm. All right, moving right along. We finally have some good news coming out of this COVID uh, fiasco here. 
A Quiet Place 2 has moved up its release date by four months. So it is now premiering in May, May 28th, instead of September in the U.S. And uh, in reverse COVID news, we have word that San Diego Comic-Con has canceled their big, big event in July again for the second year in a row. But they are planning to hold some kind of in-person event on a much, much smaller scale in November. They have not released very many details about what they're planning to do in November. Nobody has announced any panels or anything like that for San Diego Comic-Con just yet. But the largest convention in the world has been canceled twice now because of COVID. So, Yeah. <clears throat> um, in a, now that they, we've had an up, now uh, a down. <laughs> uh, so wah, six wah. of... Uh, <laughs> yeah um six dr seuss books have been um have been have entered uh basically they're no longer being published uh due to racially insensitive and uh and antiquated racially uh depict racial depictions in the books um they're and to think that i saw it on mulberry street uh if i ran the zoo mcgelliot's pool on beyond zebra scrambled egg super and the cat's quizzer um, the estate actually uh, has taken these out of circulation in addition to a lot of uh, secondary markets. Um, and overall, they just won't be available from now on, which has created a, a spike um, in the where those books are currently still available. Um, eBay has canceled all sales of these books. Um, Amazon still has them for sale. Universal Orlando has actually pulled the books from the, the shelves um, specifically by request. I, I believe that's from the estate. Uh, is currently evaluating the Seuss Landing and their Islands of Adventure theme park. Uh, Seuss Landing features references to many of, of the of Dr. Seuss's books, including two of two of them that are no longer going to be in, in circulation due to um, some racially insensitive material. Um, yeah, so I I wish I knew anything about any of these books. I feel I mean, yeah, none of those ourselves. titles are titles. I mean, I think I've heard of the zebra one, but that's it. I've not heard of any of the other ones. They're not, none of yeah. them are big sellers until now. So yeah. Well, and it's, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it, it, I'm, it's one of those things where I, now I want to understand better, um, like the, the content of those books. So I can have a more informed opinion, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, thing, it's not yeah. surprising. So many, so many, so many books from that era. Um, there was, yeah, just content that hasn't aged well. And mm -hmm. you know, mm. anyway, so. was it because um, uh, Splash Mountain at Disney as well is completely getting rebranded because of sort of racial um, depictions mm -hmm. as well, and they're bringing in like updating it. So unfortunately, things were done, but I guess. Yeah, I guess it's good that they're being recognized and for having well, and to be what's surprising if I'm being honest, I'm by default, I'm very cautious of of um, censorship and those kinds of things. This isn't this doesn't really qualify as censorship. Um, and I think where it gets fuzzy is the difference between government banning material and the public banning material. That you know is I mean? the difference. Yes, yeah, I, I would we're designed. Yeah, we're designed to edit ourselves, and that's okay, mm -hmm. and that's that's encouraged. You know what I mean? Um, the other the other piece of it is it's funny, uh, like the Muppet Show, like you were talking about. HBO Max has put a couple of um, a couple of disclaimers in front of it, similar to Gone with Wind and some other pieces of content. 
And I always go into those going, really? I grew up with these. I, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just being too sensitive. And then I watch it and I'm like, ah, <laughs> I'm yeah, always. It's surprising um, how much yeah. stuff doesn't age well. Um, yeah. And I think, but I, that's, that's probably just one of the keystones of, of maturing as you get older, right? Like when you know better, you do better. And that's just, that's yeah. just the bottom line. Like at, at 13 or nine or, you know, however young you are, you might not know any better, but you know, at 30 something, it, you've had plenty of opportunities to better yourself and, and to learn a couple of things. So yeah, I think yeah. that's a, that's a good way to reevaluate things and just kind of take a look and be like, mm, maybe this passed before, but it doesn't quite yeah. make the cut now. Yeah. It's funny. Like when you see something, I don't know, from like say the eighties or something like a film or TV show and you're just like flipping heck, like, how on yeah. earth did they get away with saying <laughs> this stuff? Like, yeah. Um, you know, even um, I was reading earlier about um, coming to America, how the studio, I think it was Paramount, said that they had to have one white actor in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, but why? Why Why did they have to? Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, I'm, yeah, it's not, I, I don't know. Like, all, I, I don't think it was probably the worst of examples i could look give, it was but, louis but, anderson's breakout role okay yeah. don't take that away from him and coming to america <laughs> no, no no i don't like i said it's not the worst of examples but but you know if you can go back and you can just watch stuff and you can think actually how on earth you know even but even saying things like that like um but actually when we were uh, watching noughts and crosses last week i mentioned about in the the, the reversal that because the white people were the minority and they said about, um, oh, you know, you probably get a better chance if you had a black person's name. And like, and like we, we talked about this on the podcast last week, how many times have you heard that the other way around? And mm-hmm. like, uh, even things like probably said on TV and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just weird to see those things, you know, have not aged well in particular things. And I mean, you can't go back really and make massive cuts and edits to movies to, because, but, I guess you can just draw attention to the fact that those things are not correct. Yeah. Like I said, you just, you do better when you know better, you do better. That's, that's just kind of, it's evolution, so to speak. So. So we'll bring our news of the week to a close. (laughs) I I didn't feel there was a massive amount of news this week. So it was. um, I think everybody was too focused on WandaVision to like do much (laughs) of anything else this week. Uh, I was so excited. I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, have I got time to watch One Division before um, I do any work? I was like, no, I really haven't. Mind. But because, um, especially because it was an hour hour long this time, so if it had been a half an hour episode, I could have squeezed it in. Uh, I did say to my wife, "Should we try and watch it?" She's like, "No, we, it's, it's just, we've got too much to do. We've got like, the children. Like, you know, we have to get the day going. Come on, yeah. man." Um, <laughs> So our first review is Superman Lois by the CW, uh, on the CW. Why do we need these big winter jackets? Are are we flying somewhere? Kind of have to. Hold on, okay? How come he gets to go flying with Dad and I have to go to school? At least we have radio. Developed by Greg Bertinelli and Todd Helbing. Anyway, it stars a variety of people, but of course, Tyler Hoechlin. I don't know. Oakland. Oakland. 
Anyway, uh, Elizabeth, <laughs> um, I'm terrible with names. May, may as well. I should, like. some sort of, yeah, I should go on some sort of course <laughs> for pronunciations of names. Um, anyway, so, uh, and Dylan Walsh from uh, Nip Tuck. Oh, my uh, God. Dylan Walsh is not aging well. I'm so sorry to say that. But, like, that was oh. the first thing I noticed watching this first episode of Superman and Lois. It took me a whole episode to realize who he was. And I was like. Oh, really? Like. Is that the same guy from Nip Tuck? No way! Yeah. Did you both Well, I mean, Nip it's Tuck? only been 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Tuck Has Nip Tuck years. really been that long ago? No, it finished about 10 years ago. Like, Still, about... That's, a, that's a while. Are you looking at the dates? <laughs> no, I haven't looked Probably at the dates. Probably right. I haven't looked at the dates. I haven't looked at the dates. But I'm dead sure it finished about 10, 11 years ago. This is why um, it's always yes. so much fun to have Steven on the podcast because Steven is like that little <laughs> like bad influence on your shoulder that just like kicks up shit randomly. It's great. <laughs> yes, that's true. I, <laughs> anyway, um, Superman and Lois. So this show has been a long time coming. So Tyler made his first appearance as Superman in October 2016 in the first and second episode of Supergirl. Did you guys have you guys seen Supergirl at all, or seen him in Supergirl? Yes. Yeah, I've I've seen Supergirl. I watched the first uh, half of the first season, but I have not seen him in it. Oh, okay. Uh, I stuck with Supergirl. I still watch it. Um, it's 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 not a great show. Um, <laughs> like, so ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie, it's it's not the best of, of shows. I mean, Legends of Tomorrow is the worst show um, on the season. Is it? Um, I I'm not a fan of. Do you Legends just mean in the Arrowverse? Because I'm pretty sure it's not sorry. the worst show on the CW. <laughs> oh no, sorry, yeah, in the Arrowverse. Okay. What is the What is the worst show on the CW then? I mean, don't they still have a Vampire Diaries spinoff? It's not oh, the original. Um, it's like uh, legacies, legacies, legacies. Yeah, yeah. Whew, man, I, Riverdale is pretty bad. I mean, a lot of is people it? seem to like it, but like, yeah. I have fallen behind with Riverdale. Um, also, <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. Walker, not very good. Oh, do you know? What? Sorry, Jared. <laughs> well, are you serious? A show based on a Chuck Norris vehicle? It's not good. It's That's based shocking. on a Chuck Norris vehicle with no martial arts. <laughs> what the hell? Do you know what? I, I the watched the first episode of, of Walker. I, I watched the first episode of Walker. We did a review here. I was actually all right with it. I, I, I didn't. I never said it was brilliant. I never said it was brilliant. But I was like, <laughs> but I was like, it was all right. Like I would probably. I, you were really. Based on, based on the first episode, I was like, I probably would watch a couple more. Nope. By, by episode three, I was like, this is fucking <laughs> I was like, this is so bad. Like, yeah. So, I mean, any review I was to ever do a Walker again would just get worse and worse. We'd have to get, we'd have to create minus numbers and ratings for like, <laughs> what we do on mine. The <laughs> only thing that I really, really liked about the pilot episode, uh, I went to college in Austin. So, like, it was really fun to be like, ah! I've been there. I know where that is. Like, so I was watching it for like the background scenery. Yeah, Mark, you're giving some really great forward reviews tonight. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's it's not Geeks the best Unleashed. show. No BS. <laughs> but, it's not the best show. Oh, but, this is total. <laughs> so I, I probably should. Anyway, anyway, Supergirl, Supergirl. Do you know one of the main reasons I love Supergirl? Melissa um, Benoist, I think, is 
well, I think in person, she seems like a genuinely lovely person. And I do love her Supergirl. I think she is yeah. really adorable as Supergirl. Like, you know, she's quite tough. I think she's quite a tough Supergirl, but equally plays Cara Danvers really down to earth and grounded. I enjoy that. I like um, David uh, Howman as John, John Jones. I think he's great. I'm quite pleased yeah. that James Olsen's left. I felt like he had nothing to do for for pretty much the entire time he's in the show. That was bad writing, not... though, because I loved him in that role. Well, he's yeah, a yeah, good yeah. Actor, oh, too, he was, yeah. yeah, he's a good actor, but yeah. he just... He, I, I almost think it would have been better for him <laughs> to have reoccurred rather than being regular. Yeah. Um, I think and... they just didn't know what to do with him. Like... Well, they wanted, they wanted some Superman stuff in there. They were like, okay, let's get James Olsen. And they were like, well... Yeah, but we don't want a geeky James Olsen. And they created they created him initially to be like a love interest. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of ditched that. They, they, they finally, they built them up to be a couple by the end of season one. Supergirl, anyway, we've we, we sort of spent way too much time talking about Supergirl. But Lena, Lena Luthor was a terrible addition to Supergirl as well, like trying to be like her mate. And then one of the things I've been wondering, which kind of does lead us into Superman, Lois, is that they introduced... Um, uh, John Cryer as um, Lex Luthor and I think in the show he in Supergirl was amazing Lex Luthor and actually was a real good addition to the Supergirl TV show um, anyway as Supergirl went on Tyler has made the odd appearance in Supergirl and I think his appearances have been brilliant and he's been in the last two CW big crossovers as well uh, and in the last one which is a good setup for this they had Infinite Crisis and at the end of Infinite Crisis a lot of things were changed about all of their lives. Um, so, for instance, in Supergirl, Lex Luthor had been killed off and he's brought back. Um, Arrow, they managed to bring back every single character that Arrow had killed off, and that was a lot of people. Um, you know, I can't think, think of all the other changes now. Oh, yeah, in Batwoman, they managed to bring, they brought in... Um, uh, Another Beth. Uh, yeah, Beth, sorry. Yeah, another Beth. Um, but they killed her off within about two episodes. And other than that, Batwoman went back to, back to um, uh, thingy. Um, but anyway, at the, but the biggest change was as Superman was flying off, uh, Lois Lane calls him up and says, you need to get home. The boys need you. And we knew that, uh, we knew from his appearances in Supergirl that they had a baby. But this, this show now suddenly has given him two teenage boys. And so there was a lot of um, rumours about who these two teenage boys would be. But anyway, so the show starts with him in Metropolis and he's rocking up at a nuclear power station. And, and what I love about this is, you know, we've done, we did 10 years of Smallville. We did the Lois and Clark New Adventures with Ty, um, um, I forgot her name, the woman from um, Desperate Housewives and uh, Terry Hatcher. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Which is shows I loved, but I'm so glad that we're like past the whole Superman getting to his identity, and, and as this show as well is is actually already established with a married Superman and Lois. I'm glad we're past the will they won't they stuff, and we we know that they will. It's like stop <laughs> teasing us with this will they won't they. So I think it's great that we've sort of arrived at this family dynamic. So. And I also think it's actually great that they've already introduced Dylan Walsh, Dylan Walsh as Lois's father, um, who already knows that he's Superman. We, we, we've got, you know, we've kind of already got to these places where a lot of TV shows they spend, you know, five, ten years getting to the big reveal. Actually, mm-hmm. we've come in with this nice position. So, 
Dylan, Dylan's character with with Superman, uh, General Lane, um, is kind of like they're not friends, but they're not enemies, and you can see that he's it's almost like a begrudging friendship between him and uh, yeah. Superman. Because Lane of, like, is pretty much like, well, you married my daughter, so at I'm least I can you. try to make <laughs> this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, yeah. and that's obvious from like the very beginning. But mm-hmm. they kind of have a bit of a chit chat after he sort of saves the nuclear power plant. But that whole nuclear power plant scene was so amazing. Like keep going out, getting the water, freezing it. Uh, the, the amount of money you can see that they spent on this in this opening scene. I was like, do you know what? This is head and soldiers above any Arrowverse TV show so far. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the tone of this show is so different from any other CW show. It kind of almost feels like did they create a parallel universe just for Lois and Clark? Because the t- I think the tone of it, the money, the budget, everything that they've done, it just almost, almost when I watch it, the style and everything is so different because yeah. even, the, even it the feels flag- like a much more mature show than what you would normally find on the CW. Like, oh, it, yeah, yeah. It, they, they have adult issues, right? Like they, they've got one kid that has anxiety problems and as two parents, they're trying to navigate how to make sure that they keep their student athlete like doing well plus keep their anxiety riddled child level like they've got real world problems and it just but it's nice to see a couple that is in it together like they're not contentious they're not you know on the outs there's no like third party trying to come in and and break them up it's it's really just two loving parents trying to figure out how to make their family a stronger like family unit oh i'm sure that i'm sure lana will cause problems oh of course she will you don't put emmanuel turkey in a show and then just let her sit there as like the the nobody that doesn't do anything come on (laughs) i mean it was obvious even like in the second episode when they're having like the barbecue and she comes up sort of flowing her eyelashes i'm like oh come on go away i was like it's like it's the second episode (laughs) leave him alone give it some time (laughs) damn it yeah yeah (laughs) But um, so anyway, so Martha dies, which I was um, actually sorry. Actually, the whole episode of the first episode, what I thought was quite cool is that um, Clark sort of flashes over his life, you know, shows a, a you know kind of catches up the audience with where he is, and even shows a scene of his father dying, and um, which we which has been used in a lot of the stuff, including Smallville. We because you know you knew in Smallville that Jonathan was going to eventually die and. You know, it was always a big thing about when will Jonathan eventually die. Um, so the show starts with Martha dying, and it leads to the whole family deciding to completely uproot from Metropolis and move to Smallville, which I think was, would be unlikely. Um, but for the show, they've decided that's what they want to do is bring bring them back to Smallville, which starts off a whole load of chain of events, which I think has created a lot of stories for. Lois and for their children mm-hmm. and and equally for for Clark himself one of the interesting things about this though is that they've got two sons so we've got Jonathan but we've also got Jordan so it's worth noticing that uh, noting that Jonathan does exist in the comics but Jordan is a brand new character and, and and has had no comic book time at all so we don't really know what's planned for both both of these characters too and they've taken an interesting direction that Jonathan has got no powers whilst Jordan has. Jordan is the character that is new to all of us. Um, 
So I thought that was quite interesting as well. So uh, to see them, I think it's gonna, that's going to be like the sort of typical CW part, having the teenagers and the the, the stupid love triangle bet- between the two brothers and the girl at the school. And um, I'm not too interested in that love triangle thing. Um, but <laughs> but like but what the part I am really interested in is as we get into episode two, Lois really getting into her full-on reporter mode mm-hmm. and, and wanting to take down her boss Morgan Edge and she hands her notice into the um to the uh, planet and goes to work for a local paper in Smallville and um I love that when she storms into the planet and hands her a letter and she's like the best writing I've ever done opens it up and it's just two words I quit and, um, <laughs> and like she just sort of bowls on out and I'll tell you what though like she's probably Getting up there would probably be my favorite Lois, like out of all the Supermans I've ever watched. Like um, bit, a busy to look. I've liked her since uh, Grimm. I thought she was really kind of. Oh, I've never she seen was, Grimm. Oh, what? I'm I'm surprised at that. Um, I thought she was really good in Grimm, so I'm excited to see more of her. But of the whole series, I think the Lois Lane story arc and her trying to dig into what Morgan Edge is doing to all of these small towns that is far more interesting of a storyline than who this who this stranger is that Clark Kent and Sam Lane are trying to fight against. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Sam, what, what, what are your views on the, the, these first two episodes? Yeah, um, I... I really love it. Um, I, you know, years ago when I watched shows like this, I would, I would watch them trying to pick them apart, like uh, the things I would do different and what I, you know, um, just a really critical eye. And I've, this show, I don't know, as I've gotten older, I just try to just enjoy what the show's doing. And this, for above all, um, they've done so many smart things, I think. Um, they've taken all of the pieces that are traditionally in Superman and dumped them in a box and shaken the box. And it is like a, a really great approach because for how many years have we been trying to tell the, the same type of Superman story right. over and over? With We've always been returns. telling the coming of age Superman story, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's like, and just, you know, <clears throat> like you had kind of alluded to before Mark, like the, the whole relationship with Clark and Lois and all that kind of stuff, all those things are, it's like watching Ross and Rachel uh, 300 times. You know what I mean? As, as great as it was the first time, it is exhausting um, after you've seen it redone so many times. Mm -hmm. So now being married is so much more challenging than dating in so many ways. It opens up just a whole plethora of stories, making Superman, his archetype is a fatherly, a fatherly character and someone who's a guardian angel who is protective and strong making him a father only strengthens that archetype only opens up the story possibilities and especially you give him two sons who are very different from each other very different from him Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just a lot of I feel like if anyone was shortchanged in these first few episodes, it was the sons. I don't feel like they got a lot of depth to their characters. I feel like they're somewhat two dimensional. Um, But Lois and Clark are very compelling. I think it's Mm -hmm. really smart. Um, And we're, this is spoiler, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) They've been warned. (laughs) So the, what I, one of my favorite things is, okay, Lex Luthor, is a cerebral uh, threat that 
typically forces Superman to deal with social issues. And they've replaced him with Morgan Edge. And his foil is Lois Lane. So what does that do? open Superman up to? It opens him up to a whole different sort of threat that can also be intellectual, but this new Lex Luthor is the exact opposite of what he's been in the past. Mm-hmm. He's a very physical threat. He is motivated not by jealousy, but by vengeance and by like just a very, it's a very different dynamic. And it's true to the spirit of Superman, but it is not like any Superman we've ever seen before. And that's that's what I love most about it. Um, the the setting i think it's brilliant to move it into smallville because mm-hmm. the setting metropolis you stripped is, away the noise yeah exactly it, it does from a from a storytelling standpoint mm-hmm. it's it's a contrast to superman and it is an appropriate backdrop for clark kent so you have a, it's a perfect place for that family dynamic it's not it is not um so it's not such a, a like you said a bustling busy teeming background Mm -hmm. but metropolis is still right there because superman can go wherever the heck he wants yeah exactly So, like these first couple episodes are in the antarctic they fight in smallville they're in metropolis moldova yeah and what's so smart about it too is from a special special effects budget holy crap um he he ends up downing lex luther in the second episode in the middle of a field okay Mm -hmm. That's that's a pretty big budget shot, but having him fall there and then fight in the field and talk, you can't tell me that they didn't save at least a little bit of the budget that they would have blown having them tear through buildings. And we've seen that a million times. We haven't yeah. seen these these scenarios over and over. So I really love the setting. I think it's a especially for teenage boys, a small a small city um, is just a much more intimate opportunity or small town is much more intimate opportunity for them to interact with the same reoccurring cast makes more sense um and then the last piece this i don't feel like this show is so focused on the story i feel like it's 100 focused on the characters and that's i prefer that Mm -hmm. because a story is always going to have plot holes it's always going to have weak points it's always going to have but if you have compelling characters then people will hang with them because they want to be around those characters you know what i mean it's like it's it's much more compelling than than even the best of stories because you know it's been said over and over there are only so many types of stories but Mm -hmm. you can have thousands of different types of characters you know and then the the thing that i love most about the show is uh uh tyler uh yes he's amazing um his even in teen wolf he played uh when he was first introduced in that series he was an intimidating older uh, kind of character but he's so charismatic everything yes. he does he he just draws the audience in he's compelling and he's he dead up looks i mean like he doesn't look like a traditional superman but like when lana came up to him and they're joking about him it, her stalking him on facebook i'm like yeah that's believable if that guy <laughs> came from smallville every girl that he was in high school with be, would be pinging his facebook page. yeah for sure uh, anyway he's quickly moving up my list like henry cavill to me was the perfect perfect like embodiment of superman uh but tyler hawkland is so damn charming that it's really i mean it's impossible to watch the series and not like him immediately yeah Mm. well he has a bounce to his personality Mm -hmm. henry cavill walks like like a man made of concrete yes you know what i mean he's just so he looks like a grecian statue his presence is so he's got the physicality of a superman but tyler hawkland is incredibly charming he's so so he he has that off-putting like 
put you at ease kind of feeling you know like that's yeah. that's the kind of superman that he is yeah, I, no, well, I loved him. Like, you know, when you say Team Wolf, I loved him in Team Wolf. Was it Derek Hale? Yeah. Derek Hale, yeah. Like I watched all of Team Wolf, and um, it, it was a disappointing because he left probably like the last season or two, but he did come back. I think for the last couple of episodes. But every time he came back, you knew that like fans would be going like nuts when he came on the yeah. screen or stuff like that. It, um, so I was actually really pleased when he got cast as Superman. So almost yeah. five years ago now. Yeah. So it's weird to think that he has been Superman already for five years, but he's probably, I don't know, probably yeah. done no more than six episodes. And even those episodes, <laughs> he was only probably in 10% of the show. But he's been so yeah. impactful in those few episodes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see where the show goes. Um, I also thought it was a very interesting choice for them to take, obviously, Alex from another universe. This mm-hmm. obvi- this is a fallout from Crisis. I don't know which Earth this Lex is from. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a very interesting twist to make Lex black because mm-hmm. it always felt like a black billionaire would never work because there's always this talk about, oh, let's make Batman um, black. And it's like, uh, I, I don't... That, that, that wouldn't quite kind of equate to the same kind of Bruce Wayne that, uh, you know, like a white Bruce Wayne is. So the fact that they have made Lex black, but they have also made Lex a military man. Yeah, Captain um, Luthor. Yeah, it's it's a very, very interesting kind of twist. But as compelling as Lex's backstory is, uh, which they have not ever officially said his name is Lex Luthor. They call him Captain mm-hmm. Luthor throughout the first two episodes. Um, yep. But as compelling as his story is, I am still far more interested to see. It's like Steven said, like they have finally given Lois some meat and potatoes as opposed to just being arm candy for Superman. I am far, <laughs> far more interested in Lois's plight against Morgan Edge because I think that the Morgan Edge story of him being this corporate billionaire that's supposedly creating jobs and doing good and helping these small towns I think that's a timely and far more interesting kind of story arc to see play out than to see you know big brawny guys fighting each other which I mean I I love to see that kind of stuff too don't get me wrong but like story-wise like if if I'm going to keep watching this show I'm definitely going to keep watching the show because I want to know what happens between Lois Lane and and Morgan Edge. I think um so I loved Smallville and I used to love, I think when you're talking about Lois Lane, Erica Drantz, who played mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, Lois Lane, she was always a Lois that got herself into loads of trouble. Like, But she was like <laughs> a, a much younger, inexperienced Lois. Mm. But, that, but that was obviously part of the show, right? So to come in on this angle where we've actually got a much <clears> more experienced <throat> Lois Lane, a much more experienced reporter. So, you know, I don't know how far she's into her career, 10 years, something like that. And the tone and the presence is, is, a, is a lot stronger than what we had in Smallville, but that's, but that's part of the whole thing. Smallville was about them growing up. Um, so I'm actually really excited. And I actually was thinking to myself when I was watching this, the only reason I said I was a bit disappointed about the move to Smallville was I hope that, this Morgan Edge thing is going to be a big story, but once mm-hmm. that's done, what what else can Lois, you know, what other big stories could Lois potentially get involved in in the small town? Um, I would hate to see her get moved to a secondary character based on the fact that there, there may not be enough stories. There could be. There could, this could lead to bigger stories, you know, um, you know or, or something. Or maybe that her, maybe she might go in and out of Metropolis. I don't know, but... I would love to see just, you know, even sometimes just a whole episode just almost dedicated to her reporting skills and like, you know, the kids and Superman 
given smaller screen time if it if it was like a really big case mm-hmm. like and um and her going on assignment and places like that but not for the sake of ruining the relationship between her and superman but just like him supporting her if she wants to go say yeah but i also I love that she is sort of the primary figure as far as like the family unit is concerned mm. um she's she's very much that strong type of mother because even when the boys are fighting she flat out says look we all got invited to this barbecue. We are going to the barbecue as a family. You don't have an option to stay home and sulk. Like that's that's not going to happen. Go upstairs and get dressed. And everybody just kind of looks at each other like, and even Clark is like, well, you heard your mother. Like, go ahead. I mean, so I love that she is very, she's very much a central figure. And, and like you said, Mark, I hope they keep her in that kind of role instead of moving her to be a background character where she's just kind of like a yes man for Clark. I think, I think it's because this case obviously is going to be a big case in Smallville, this, mm-hmm. this, this, this thing that she's working on for, like, um, for the local paper. But once that's done, like, you know, I'm just concerned that how much big story can a small town Once that's you? done, they're going to bring in a new villain. That's how these things oh, yeah, work. Yeah, no, no, no. I just don't want it to be like unrealistic, but yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I feel like we've got potentially three villains in the show. We've got General Lane. I can definitely see going down mm-hmm. the, the villain road um, through his influence of Captain Luther. Um, and then Captain Luther, a villain, but a villain that you can kind of see why he's a villain because... Because he, Superman on his world was evil. Was it was, was an evil guy, yeah. and and something's happened that's led him getting here. Like whether that was crisis or whether Superman destroyed his Earth, or could it be that this evil Superman is still out there? Would it would it could it be yeah. that this is a, a maybe a longer term goal? That would be interesting. To see if we could end up with a an evil Superman. I mean, this evil Superman was pretty dark. He was killing people left right yeah. center and they were they were clearly at war yeah. with him and his laser vision and stuff like that um but i, I do love how they've done, taken this whole captain luther thing and so when i knew superman was getting his own show and that lex luther was clearly really well ingrained into the supergirl show and i knew supergirl was being coming to an end this year and being cancelled i was like so what's going to happen then is lex luther going to be transferring across to superman because mm-hmm. clearly you can't have a superman show without lex luther it's like you can't if they ever made a a Batman show, you you would gotta have, to have, have Joker. A Joker, yeah. And um, so I wonder where they were going with this, but they so what they've obviously sat back and was like, well, we've explored Lex Luthor quite a lot in Supergirl, so what by bringing him over here, what are we going to do with him? So they must. I, I thought it was pretty ingenious actually to bring in a parallel Lex Luthor, but actually one that actually has motives that you can understand and they are very yeah. different from motives we've seen in the past, you know, rich billionaire that's basically jealous of Superman. This is actually yeah. a guy that's not wealthy, has a lot of technology from a parallel world who has got military background. I think that's actually a really good take on Lex. So, um, yeah, no, I've yeah. really enjoyed the first two episodes and I'd love to keep seeing where it's going. I did see, however, from the end of March that the show is going on hiatus until May, though, because of COVID. So... Not overly happy about that, that. phrase Yay. <laughs> on the tombstone of so many things <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, um, I, I don't want to slow things down, but the two things I would say, I think that um, them being in Smallville could really work uh, because it's it's very much a, a modern take on things because to be a reporter, you wouldn't have to live in Metropolis anymore. Like, not, you yeah, cover, exactly. Not in this day you know, and age. Yeah. That's and true, honestly, true. if 
if the last year has shown everybody anything, it's that uh, we can we can be almost anywhere in the world and still perform duties, especially mm-hmm. writing. You know what I mean? But the, and then the <clears throat> I actually think Jorel, um, his depiction had a hint of like a, a little bit of like he was very cold. Yes. He was very selfish. Um, yeah. Like he, he was only interested in Jordan when he thought that he was going to further his line. And then he, he talked to, he talked uh, to Cal uh, about Jordan. Like he was just a wasted asset as soon yeah. as he found out, oh, well, he's just, and I, I think that that's in the comics, they explored that a little bit. That was one of the things Bendis did that uh, was interesting. I didn't like where he took it, but I don't know. I think it, it could be an interesting uh, way to take it where you have, you know, a father and a grandfather at odds over the, the, la- the kind of legacy of the name. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, Mark had said three villains. I actually count Jordan as a fourth potential villain. I, I do think that oh, him that getting spurned by his <laughs> yeah. grandfather like that, um, it's, it's going to have a, a bigger impact than, than we think. So I, I wouldn't put it too far past Jordan to turn into some kind of bad guy. Maybe like a baby bad guy at the beginning because, you know, he's still very young. But <laughs> he like, could be a bad out of the four of them, though. He's probably the only bad guy that's probably redeemable because it is right. larger. Right. Uh, it's, um, oh, yeah. Sorry, Sam, Sam Lane. No, if, if Sam Lane turns bad, it's because he's a dick. Like, period. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no redeeming qualities about him. I mean, it, it didn't take much for him to start thinking. Like, you know, it was a, it was a two minute conversation with Captain Lex and he's suddenly sitting back and you can see it in his face. He's like, oh, yeah. And actually, and I would not be surprised with it if when, when if within the next few episodes he actually gives Lex some of the kryptonite that he's been hoarding. Yeah. So we'll bring this to a close. Um, we rated this four point five out of five. Um, Stephen, sticking with it. Oh yeah, I love it. I I'll I'll watch it until it's so bad that there's no hope. <laughs> so. so you'll watch it for six seasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, is that a flash? <laughs> I, I actually have to say, it's one of the shows I'm actually hoping won't be a 22 episode show. Like I would be quite yeah. happy with 12 episodes a year, but 12 yeah. good strong episodes. I don't want to see 22 episodes. Of I fillers. think they ordered two more episodes, so they brought the first episode to fi- the first season to 15 episodes. Yeah, I think that's 16, okay. I'm right I with think. that. Yeah. But and I and if every season is about that, and it might be because of the budget, they might not can you know CW might not have the money to do a 22 episode show on Superman, and I think that would be yeah. good. I think that would be. A good and it's move. fine. We have gotten past the point of 22 ep- 22 episodes works for stuff like Law and Order, where each episode is 100 contained. It's it's very procedural. But if you're telling an arc story, you don't need 22 episodes to do that. And mm-hmm. I, I wish yeah. more and more network people would realize that you don't need 22 episodes. Well, Star, I mean, Stargirl, Stargirl, 12 episodes. Really good, well-structured show. No but further Stargirl episodes. was made for no, streaming. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, and that's, but I will say HBO Max has, uh, I think in the long term, it's going to strengthen everything that comes out of Warner Brothers because they're no longer looking at it for ratings. <clears throat> Honestly, I mean that's why I mean CW ratings didn't matter b- before to a degree, mm-hmm. but they are mattering less and less because it's archival content for HBO Max and CW Seed and some of that stuff. Yeah. So, like Superman, it wouldn't surprise me if their budget um, wasn't increased beforehand, just in anticipation of its viewing on HBO Max eventually. Yeah, yeah. Jasmine, sticking with it. 
Sorry. <laughs> you you know me. No. <laughs> I uh, I might, you know, over the summer after everything is said and done, I might binge it, but I don't I don't do anything week to week. We we go over this every every time we record an episode, but no, I'm not going to stick to it week to week. No, no, I mean like but would you like see see the show out? Like would you like, Yeah, I could see it. myself. It could be it, I could see it definitely being a summer binge for me. Yeah, I I like the show. Um I thought I thought it was actually really I don't know, just even the camera work, it just everything about it felt yeah. so different to it an feels, hour show. I said this earlier, but it does feel more mature. It feels like it almost doesn't feel like a CW show. Like yeah. because it's like they put so much effort into the production value and into the actual characters and just the way yeah. that Tyler Hawkland emotes. It's it's almost like he's in a different league than than the rest of the characters on the show. So he's it, it, good enough that it would pull me back in. Yes. It's made me realize like just how bad Batwoman is and how bad the Flash is and, and <laughs> how awful Legends of Tomorrow are compared to this. I thought they did really well like with this show. Um I think with all those other shows, if you didn't like them, I wouldn't even consider them in terms of your viewing experience with this show. Uh, and also, almost what's cool about this is that they don't reference those shows. It can't. You could go into this yeah. not knowing yeah. anything about those shows. Yeah. So let's move on. All right <laughs> here we go, Monster Movie Month. We are kicking off with Godzilla from 2014. This Godzilla film is based off of all the other Godzillas that were created by Toho, which is a production company in Japan. Uh, This is from WB Legendary Pictures. It is directed by Gareth Edwards. Screenplay by Max Bornstein. Story by David Callahan. Starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, Ken Watanabe, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Julia Binoche, Sally Hawkins. Loved her in Shape of Water. Anyway, David Strathairn and Brian Cranston. So this film... Even way back in 2014, this film, they always said that this is going to be a bigger, much bigger uh, monster franchise. Um, took a very long time. Well, not a long time. It took, a, it was three years before Kong Skull Island was released. So Kong Skull Island came out in 2017. Um, this, <laughs> best way to describe this, I think it's a slow burn creature feature. And by slow burn, let me tell you, Godzilla is the title of this film. We don't actually see Godzilla. We see Godzilla in like footage, but you only see like the spikes on his back. Um, We don't actually see Godzilla in all of his statuesque dinosaur form until 55 minutes into this movie. And we don't hear that iconic Godzilla roar until the one hour mark. Now, this is a two hour film. So halfway through the movie is when the titular character is introduced, which I thought was insane to wait an entire hour to bring in the big guns. Um, uh, One of the other things about this film that really kind of bugged me where it's a monster movie, you know that from the title of the film, but the bad monster doesn't even have a name. Like this is not a monster Mm -hmm. that anyone has ever encountered before. They don't have a name for it. So basically, it's it's the equivalent of UFO. This this monster is called a MUTO, which is abbreviated for Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism. 
So that's what they spend the film calling it is a Muto. So it's Muto versus Godzilla pretty much. Um, now, originally when this movie came out, it actually premiered to pretty good ratings. Uh, most of them were positive. It had a massive opening weekend and $90 million back in 2014 when it came out, but it only grossed about $200 million domestically. So like, it had this massive opening weekend. And then for the rest of its run, it pretty much made its opening weekend again yeah. for the entire run. So like it, it, it had a very disappointing run. Um, and, you know, honestly, you can see why. If someone goes to a zombie film, but zombies don't appear until an hour into the film, then did you really watch a zombie movie or did you watch something else? Yeah. And that's what this feels like. It's, it's like, I, this is a Godzilla movie and I don't get Godzilla until literally halfway through this film. And even when I finally do get Godzilla, there's, there's 20 minutes, 25 minutes max of fight sequences between Godzilla and Muto um, in this two hour film. And it's just kind of like, basically what they made was a dramatic relationship film that happened to have monsters in it. Um, and I think that is probably why not very many people talk about this film. Like, I, I know just between the three of us, even before we started recording, we talked about the Matthew Broderick version of Godzilla, which is a creature film. Like, Godzilla is destroying New York City. He had lays eggs in Madison Square Garden. Like, it is a monster movie, right? And even when we're talking about Kong Skull Island, they're, they're on an island and they're fighting King Kong. Like, yes, there's plenty of opportunities for them to have a relationship. Like, the people are a big part of that film, but it's a Kong film. Like, you never feel like you're watching that movie and it's not a monster movie. So it was, you know, there are parts of this movie where it's just a slog to get through because it's like, ah, uh, you're making a character movie, but I don't really care about any of these people so far. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to get into it because like, and I, I, I had seen this movie before, before we kind of did this, but I realized as I was watching it again, I had never, ever, ever seen the first hour of this film. And now I know why I had never seen the first hour of this film, because like none of the first hour was reminiscent at all. I was like, Ryan Cranston <laughs> is in this movie. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but that's how disjointed the film is. So like, it's, it opens in, in the past with Brian Cranston and Juliette Binoche. They're married. And um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is their son. Of course, he's much, much younger. So it's a different actor at the time. They're living in Japan. Both of the parents are working at a nuclear facility. They never really clearly define what the parents' roles are at this nuclear facility. I mean, I'm guessing they're scientists, clearly. But, like, what, what kind of science do you do? Um, so, <laughs> like... A fair question. Yeah, right? Like, I have no idea. Because, um, anyway, so it gets to the... Julia Binoche dies because of the nuclear reactor meltdown that this MUTO, which comes out of nowhere, uh, is is the cause of this meltdown. Um, Brian Cranston feels guilty. And then we just magically have this time jump where it's 15 years later. 15 mm -hmm. years later, now we are in America. Um, their son, whose name is Ford, which is ridiculous... Uh, so Ford is a soldier in the U.S. Army 15 years later. He finally gets to go home to his wife and kid. His wife is played by Elizabeth Olsen. Her name is Elle. <laughs> and then he gets called to Japan because his dad gets arrested for trespassing. And so in this 15-year time jump, it's like, 
has Brian Cranston been in Japan this entire time trying to figure out what was going on at this power? <laughs> like they, they never established any of that. None of that is ever clear. They make it seem like he is definitely a scientist that has kind of gone off the deep end. He has become very obsessive, which, you know, of course, whatever happened at this plant, it did kill his wife. So I can understand that obsession part, but we never have a clear explanation as to has, has like, literally, did he stay in Japan this entire time and his son left him in another country and went back to America to become a soldier? Like, none of that is ever made clear. So we have this disjointed family relationship. The son gets to Japan, bails his dad out of jail. The first thing they do when he gets out of jail is go trespass again at the place where the dad was just arrested. <laughs> and it's just like, what are we doing with the story? Um, you would have thought they'd be watching him if he's gone uh, right like it's it's the so the whole (laughs) the whole first hour is really kind of like what is going on with this movie so they get arrested again inside the quarantine zone except this time they are not taken to a police facility they are actually taken to the facility inside the quarantine zone which uh monarch this company has set up shop and has been monitoring this whatever this thing is uh, nobody knows what it is. Uh, so far, it's like a cocoon that has basically been absorbing all of the radiation because after the reactor meltdown, there is now no longer radiation, even perceptible uh, levels of radiation within this entire little island where the nuclear plant was. So that was one of the things that Brian Cranston was like, I know something else is going on here because there's no radiation on this island. Um, so they get to the facility, but of course, as soon as they get to the facility, oh my God, magically this thing that no one knows hatches. Like, it doesn't have a name, nothing. It just, it hatches, and now it's a Muto. Um, and so it's just like the action picks up immediately, but it's it's almost unwarranted. Um, Brian Cranston gets injured, and he dies very early on in the film. And it's just kind of like, okay, so what was he doing? Like, what did he discover? <laughs> like, uh, I was annoyed so many- by Brian Cranston's death. Like, it was sort of first 25 minutes kind of built around him and then he yeah. just sort of got wheeled off into an ambulance and, and, and then died <laughs> on a helicopter like, yeah. you got you, you have you a knack got, for we, summary yeah <laughs> can i call him right now and be like sir can you please yeah. explain your role in this film um <laughs> so basically it's it's it honestly it you can see where they try to lay the groundwork but this film is so completely disjointed in is it trying to be a monster film or is it trying to be an actual like human story that is built around monsters, so to speak. But honestly, people that watch these kinds of films, we don't care about the relationships with these family. Like we're watching these films because we want to watch monster movies. That's, that's how it goes. You watch zombie films because you like zombie movies. Like what, why am I watching a zombie film that has no zombies in it? Then it's not a zombie film, it's something else. So, was it? Um, uh, do you know what? When you say that, it makes me think of World War Z, uh, with Brad Pitt, which uh-huh. had like no zombies in it, like you know, and it, it, <laughs> even the zombies that you did see were kind of from a distance or done CGI, so they were like, like they were climbing a wall, but they were almost like large, it's, ants, it's all like a CGI like, horde, yeah, 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 like you can't, and yeah, you can't tell the difference. And it, all that was done so they could get their PG or their 12 or whatever it was because they couldn't, they didn't, they didn't want to have real zombies because they wanted this to be like an end of the world mm-hmm. um, thing. And yeah, you know, and that actually, I went to um, a Comic Con over here in England, and Max Brooks actually was talking about that just and how angry he was about that film. Um, and he said, all I had to do is actually accept the fact that this wasn't my film. This wasn't my yes, book. Exactly. He said, I just take the money 
he said, and I've just, he said, I've had to learn to live with the fact that this is not the book I wrote, um, which I'm assuming Brad Pitt probably didn't want to hear. Um, <laughs> but anyway, no, with this film, like, I, th- I agree with you. It's, I love the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. I've probably watched that film like 20 or 30 times. It's, yeah. a, it's a proper action monster movie. Don't get me wrong, it's cheesy and I don't know. It's never going to win Oscars, but it is what it says. You know, yes. it's a it's an action film, a monster action film, and you know, and it destroys the city. And as uh, I just, oh, do you know, I actually might go and try and watch that Matthew Broderick film this weekend or something. It's actually a really good film. <laughs> yeah, and um, and even Matthew Broderick is is really good. In it. He's not exactly like your action man, but he, he's really good in the film. Um, yeah, that that film is so much more superior than this <laughs> like... yeah I, I just honestly i think this film was trying to take itself too Wait, seriously, seriously. Yeah. um <laughs> now i will say there is one really gorgeous like the director of photography did an amazing job with this sequence but toward the end of the film i'd say there's about 25 minutes left in the movie at this point um the soldiers the american soldiers are trying to get a bomb that the muto stole because again these monsters live off of radiation um, so they have to, but they have to drop into San Francisco because they can't get into the city anymore. It's, it's too devastated from the monsters fighting. So when they jump out of the plane, they all have these red smoke flares yeah. that are attached to them. And that entire sequence of these soldiers jumping onto the plane with the red smoke billowing up behind them against this yep. apocalyptic backdrop is gorgeous. It is the most gorgeous shot in this entire film. Um, but again, it, it all kind of just goes to waste because by the time they get on the ground, it's like, now we're back to the people. Like, how many times do we have to go over? Like, I don't care about the people. I want to see the monsters. People. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, I, I, you know, I get it. Like, these monsters don't talk, and that's fine. I'm totally fine with, with non-speaking monsters. But I still think that the, these kinds of creatures can have personality. And you never, ever get the feeling in this entire film, even with Godzilla, that they have a personality of their own. And again, since we're doing Monster Movie Month, we are going to cover the uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, which uh, came out in 2019. Um, that movie did an excellent job of establishing a actual personality that Godzilla had. Um, so I, I think that that is that 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 movie is definitely a it learned its lessons from this film, I would say. Um so, and even even the whole like monarch agency and the scientists, but we meet uh, Dr. Sarazawa and Dr. Uh, Graham. <sighs> they never even get to establish their expertise. Like, you know, we we know that monarch is kind of a, a shadowy organization, and we're certain that you're not doing what you say that you're doing. However, we still don't know what you are. Like, are you zoologists? Are you his his history like professors? Like. What is your relationship to Monarch? Why did Monarch send you to these sites? What do you do? What makes you an expert on these creatures specifically that Monarch would send you to this, you know, this site? And I, I just think this film does not do a good job of establishing who is who and why they care. Yeah. Um, it, again, takes itself too seriously and it, it's trying to tell this human story within like with with a uh, monsters as a backdrop and mm-hmm. it did not do that well 
unfortunately. You know, I, I can appreciate it. I do. I'm, I'm definitely someone who can appreciate a slow burn and mm-hmm. character development and, you know, actually getting to know the characters because that one, especially in a movie like this, where, you know, where people's lives are on the line, I completely appreciate character development and a slow burn and building up to that, that big fight sequence. Yeah. But actually when I, like, when I watched this, I rewatched it last night. I watched it, I watched it when this came out, but when I rewatched it last night, I actually paused it when we were actually at the sequence where Godzilla is facing against the other two monsters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no way. I was like, there's 20 minutes left of this film. Like, yep. And I was like, this can't be real. I was yes. like, I was like, I'm a two-hour movie, and we've got twenty minutes before the, the like into the film with the big fight. I was like, oh, this is this is weird. Yeah. Um, so I, I was I was disappointed by the fact that we've got a movie called Godzilla, mm-hmm. where we've got you know got a film called Godzilla. We got where... a two-hour movie. This movie had a runtime of over hundred and twenty minutes. <laughs> I think this yeah. film should have been called Ford. And or, 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 like, or, or Brody or something, or the or the, the, the Brody family, yeah. American the Brody, soldier, yeah, the Brody yeah. family featuring yeah. Godzilla. Like, yeah, exactly. and, um, so this film was very much about the, the Brody family, mm-hmm. it was about mm-hmm. uh Brian Cranston, who we all may remember from his first appearance as a monster in My Morphin Power Rangers, and um. <laughs> <laughs> All seriousness, he's always going to be Walter White to me. And um, anyway, um, but you know, we we've got the father loses his wife. We've got the the son, mm-hmm. you know, for Brody growing up, getting a wife who equally that that's something that really frustrates me. That Elizabeth Olsen probably got about ten minutes of screen time. You know, probably one of the best actors in this, and and she got hardly any screen time at all. Um, and she was kind of reduced to the wife at home, which I yeah. found really frustrating. But then, so it went from a story about a father losing his wife then we get the whole 15 years later and mm-hmm. you know young young Brody's kind of now got his own family and disjointed relationship with his father so then he ends up you can see starting to rebuild his relationship with his father and only for him to be killed off sort of 30 minutes into the movie <laughs> um and then the movie then becomes about Brody getting home to his wife who we barely get to see or meet throughout the movie um and then suddenly 20 minutes before the titles rock up Godzilla shows up um, yeah. so then it became sort of the monster flick uh, and- but even then like when when we finally have this great Godzilla moment where Godzilla has realized how he can win this fight they don't explain how he gets this extra power you've been fighting all this time San Francisco is decimated <laughs> at this point mm-hmm. and you're on your last legs and all of a sudden now you remember you can breathe fire like there's there's no explanation no build-up it's just like oh it's almost like Godzilla realized like Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I can breathe fire. Like, fuck this guy. I got this. Like, I got this, Muto. I, I'm gonna fix this. Like, where did that come from? Where where did that come from? You you spent this entire movie talking about Godzilla, but you never ever mentioned that he has the ability to do this. <laughs> well, what about Stephen? What did you, what do you what do you did you enjoy it? Did, what you, your thoughts? No, I um <clears throat> when I went to go see this in the theater, I was really excited because. Just like Jasmine said, okay, they the the scene with the soldiers jumping with the the red uh, smoke behind them was heavily used in the promotion mm-hmm. material, and it it created some of the most beautiful posters. The mm-hmm. trailer was so incredible, yeah. Um, and Gareth Edwards is really magnificent at creating very memorable moments um, in films. And this one, like there are several scenes, <clears throat> uh, Godzilla under the water. 
mm-hmm. um, that overhead and then also seeing the fin coming and, yep. and uh, you know, even with the, the doors closing and you just seeing him moving forward and there's just several very, very memorable shots that clearly indicate like skill between the cinematography, the director and the, the, the Godzilla design. It is the best extrapolation of the original uh, possible, which I think, I mean, it, it really is, <clears throat> it looks real, uh, but it still has those it crazy looks proportions. Good. Like everything about yeah. the film looks good. It is, the production value oh, yeah. is fantastic, but the, yeah. the story. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the thing I would say the one is, okay, such wasted talent. Uh, yeah. Just like you said, um, Elizabeth Olsen doesn't get to do anything. Uh, and it, I mean, her character is hey she cries on the phone man okay (laughs) yeah okay yeah well and the sun is not necessary if i know if i were to reinvent this kid had four lines in the entire film yep well and even even uh aaron taylor johnson's character the 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 main character he's not necessary if it were mine to reinvent that that opening it wasn't even the opening sequence but that first real climax of the movie the first like holy crap when brian cranston's letting go of his wife how much more effective would that have been if godzilla were the direct not the indirect but the direct cause of that meltdown like he's rampaging through a segment of the city that causes this crazy reactor uh problem and his wife dies as a consequence of that and cranston is the he's the antagonist through the whole thing spoiler alert you have just described the plot of godzilla king of monsters oh really (laughs) yes yes you have so they learned a few things from this movie i'm telling you they did yeah well i would have preferred it i would have preferred it if like you just said Brian Cranston had take had been like the main role, um, well, rather like rather than his son, which they they obviously they must have thought that this is yeah. the way to go for the audience. But um, maybe this might be an unpopular opinion, but I didn't like Aaron Taylor Johnson in this movie. No, like, he, he yeah. was weak. first of all, his voice lead. is really high. <laughs> but <laughs> do you know what? He was Sorry. so good. Oh, he was so good. My apologies, Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> They should have gotten so, Mike Tyson instead. Oh, it's Godzilla. He was so good in Kick Ass. Like Kick Ass, he was really good. Like, I loved him in the first. Yeah, uh, he was awesome. Yeah. The two, well, that movie's uh, awesome though. It's got crazy. Yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah. That, you know, this um, film actually would have worked out better if you keep Brian Cranston's character. However, you remove his family entirely. Whether or not he has exactly, a family yeah. is completely irrelevant. Make him a colleague of Ken Watanabe. Okay. Make them colleagues. Yeah. He has the breakdown. His wife dies at the facility, and now he's in and out of jail. He's got all these crazy theories. You have Ken Watanabe in this movie, and he is—he is underutilized completely, completely. Yes. He could have it's... been the guy to pull Brian Cranston back to reality, pull him back into this whole thing. You don't need the family element at all, at yeah. all. And then, yep. and then that would have been a really good way to kind of bring this in because he could have been the one advocating, like, no, no, my colleague. 15 years ago had all of this equipment all of this data all of this information like that would have made a lot more sense than like yeah my dad got arrested in tokyo again so i have to go fly to tokyo to go get him like come on so, so, ja- so jasmine if well, you were to recommend this film to somebody like who what's the kind of people you'd recommend it to like people people that, that love- don't like monster movies <laughs> like, like, you, i mean you can't possibly recommend this film to anyone who actually enjoys monster features because there's not enough of that in there this is a human element movie period. you know i was thinking i was thinking people that love um 
Ang Lee's Hulk. This would be suitable. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, the one, the best <laughs> summary I can give for this movie is, my buddy and I were watching the movie exhausted, like forty-five minutes in, and we're like, "What in the world?" And <laughs> Ken Watanabe at that point is like, "Let them fight." Yes. <laughs> and and we yes. just. Every few minutes, I look at my buddy. I'm like, "Oh dear Lord, let them fight! Yes, Please let, let them, them fight! fight. <laughs> Shut up! I paid and let them good fight. money to see monsters <laughs> fighting, not to see Aaron Taylor Johnson and his high pitched voice and his platoon get decimated. <laughs> that's not what I want to see." Yeah, well, and that's the other the other takeaway I had was like I had this good friend when Batman Begins came out, and that's a really fun movie. But when uh, Kim Watanabe is killed off right up at the at the beginning. <laughs> He's like, okay, <laughs> when you cast Ken Watanabe as anything, yeah, mm-hmm. let him be that character. Yes, you don't, you don't replace him later on. Yeah, you don't. You know, he's such an awesome actor. Yeah, and you know what's really funny is he uh, turned down the offer initially when Gareth Edwards came yeah. to him and was like, "Hey, we want to offer you this role in Godzilla." He said, "Ken Watanabe said, look, listen, yeah. I don't want to do this movie if Godzilla and nuclear power." are not connected like i I want you to i want you to understand that that is a big big thing in japan like i don't want to do this film if there's no nuclear element involved at all and so gareth edwards was like no 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 no. we got the nuclear element and all that and ken ken was like okay cool like fine but it's just like i cannot believe you pulled him (laughs) into this movie and he literally is kind of just like yeah. Like uh, this American soldier comes up and he's like, yo man, come on, we, we're co-opting this whole damn thing now. Like, who do you need yeah. to bring? And Ken is just like, those guys. Like, really? Yeah. Really? In 20 <laughs> minutes you haven't spoken and then you finally speak and your yeah. line is, I need them. Three three yeah. words? This is bullshit. <laughs> well, and on it, okay, last thing. I know I keep, but <laughs> the the uh, Muto or whatever it's called. Uh-huh. I felt like that was kind of the design of it is somewhat derivative of the Cloverfield beast. Yes. I felt like, yes. um, I felt like they were kind of suddenly jabbing it. The funny thing is a lot of what they were trying to do with this movie was done a lot better in Cloverfield. Yeah. Like the, they didn't show the monster very much. Cloverfield was a monster, monster movie. What's up? I said Cloverfield was a monster exactly. movie. Yeah. But the thing is there aren't that many huge shots of the monster and that's what right. they were trying to do with Godzilla. They didn't want to focus on that. They wanted to show the repercussions and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but and, but that's and, not what we as the audience want. But in Cloverfield when they did it right, I loved it. You know what I mean? Cloverfield I like was different right though because it didn't have an established yeah. history. Yeah, now, and I think it's not because, God, God for yeah, Godzilla. I was gonna say yeah. Godzilla. Like, there's, there's no way that you hear yeah. the name Godzilla. It's like if you hear you some, think Bruce Lee. Like, I don't want to see Bruce Lee in a romantic <laughs> comedy. I want to see Bruce Lee yeah. kicking somebody's ass. Like, that's what I want to yeah. see. <laughs> Sorry. So yes, yeah, so that's that's our wrap up of uh, Godzilla the feature. We ended up giving this one <laughs> uh, a two and a half, two point five out of five. Yeah, we we need we we are the kind of podcast that likes monsters in our monster features. So, uh, Matthew Broderick's go. Godzilla was for me good movie. I loved it, and also Matthew Broderick's Godzilla was had the best soundtrack of probably one of the, of, yes. of most movies. So. Agree, <laughs> ever. Um, I don't know what the soundtrack <laughs> for this one was, but like, um, but it yeah. was rain. The sound yeah. of rain. <laughs> you know what? Do you know, I just um, I've been trying to find the uh, 
I found a website here. I just actually was looking it up now. Never been on this website before. It's called thenumbers.com. And I could compare both the Godzillas. Oh, yeah. So, That's a great site. Um, I've never been on them before. So worldwide box office of the 1998 one, um, unfortunately, it did take less. Um, 376 million versus 2014's took 529 million. Um, and that was the worldwide box office. Close, so but worldwide, like what did, what did it do domestically? Because that means worldwide Godzilla 2014 did better than it did domestically. Because domestically, um, it only earned 200 million. Well, domestics, this is obviously US. So, um, so the uh, 1998 took 136, and then the domestic for the 2014 took 200 million. So, still it took more. Um, an opening weekend in 1998 took 44 million and 93 million for the 2014. So, financially, this one did better. Um, I don't know what, what it does say inflation adjusted for domestic box office um in 2000 uh, sorry 2014 was 224 million and in 1998 it was 220 sorry 266 million so while the inflation adjusted brings it about level so mm. yeah. um well sorry yeah, yeah opening on. weekend has opening weekends have completely changed they used to represent 15 20 percent of a box office and now if it now represents, it's like 60 yeah if it's less than if you can hit 33%, um, you're doing awesome. Most of the time it's 50, 60 for, for massive blockbusters. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so Anyway, though, going back to this film, like I had not seen it for a very long time. Um, I, it makes me more excited to continue watching the series because getting to the lead up to Godzilla versus Kong, I am... Mm. Again, reminded, I am all in for Godzilla. Like, sorry, Kong, screw you. I'm all in for Godzilla in, in that fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like well, saying, we, I've always loved Kong. Um, oh, yeah? I, I've never liked monkeys, so I don't like primates <laughs> at all. Like, any of them. <laughs> That's a pretty broad statement. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, my apologies to chimpanzees and orangutans everywhere, but, like, I don't like you. <laughs> So our, our chimpanzee listeners everywhere yes. now are all writing in for the so show. Sorry. So sorry, yes. My apologies. <laughs> anyway, we'll wrap up, Godzilla. Uh, recommendations, part of the, the show. I am recommending, um, and I'm shocked to say that I'm recommending something by Scott Snyder, because since he left Batman, <laughs> I've, I've no idea what happened to him. Like His Justice League was shit. His death metal was shit. Um, however... His independent stuff, and actually, I love his witches, witches that he did uh, six or seven issues or something like that. Um, was amazing. And um, he has released the first issue of Noctira with Tony Daniel. It was a really good first issue. The sun is gone, the stars are gone, and it's not like vampires, but something clearly has made the, the all the sun and all the light disappear. And however, if you're in the darkness for too long, too long in this comic, you can get infected from the darkness and turn into essentially a creature, not a vampire, but a, like a creature. Like but Godzilla? This effect, but this affects everything. Plants, fish, probably cats and dogs, probably chimpanzees. Um, so... <laughs> so and they, are getting the, the bad end of the stick today. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
So, but the only places that can survive are places that have got light, and obviously it's not natural light; it's um, bulbs and you know, light, 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 actual light, you know, lights. And even when they drive on the motorway, they have to have like their lorries covered in lights all on the outside, and they have to have lights all around them. They can't last something like any more than ten hours or something in the darkness. Um, and it, it's it's actually really cool. So this whole setup it kind of reminded me of like the last of us so they've got these like outposts mm -hmm. and the outposts that our main character um finds herself going in and out of um is an old um town where they uh they made light bulbs and um that was their big thing that they they uh got you know they sold to people was light bulbs and it just so happened when the darkness came in they they were having their 100th year of a town or something like that and had actually happened to have loads of lights going and all that kind of stuff but yeah no it's a pretty cool thing so what happens is the idea of it is get to the end of the book and she's like a i don't know what you call it like a she's like a delivery person that's probably the best thing so she goes she goes from the town and takes stuff and vice versa um anyway so these two people are in the town and they say to her that they want to go to this location and then one of the guys pulls up his arm and shows her sunburn um, and so there hasn't been, the sun hasn't been around for over 15 years. So she doesn't believe it. But then in the end, she's like, well, of course, you know, of course we knew that she would. She says, fine, I'll take you. Like, you know, but I better get paid because they said they can't pay her till they get to this location. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I better get paid and they go off. And then some other real badass guy shows up in the town saying that he's looking for these people mm -hmm. and he's wearing some suit completely <clears throat> covered in black. So yeah, I actually thought it was really good. It was actually really well written. It was easy to follow. It was nothing like death metal, which was just, I don't know what the heck was going on with that book, <laughs> but this was, this was a book that I could get into completely understand it. The art was amazing. I always loved Tony Daniels work and, um, and Scott Steiner actually discovered how to write again. So <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> like, the, I, I think Mark was adversely affected by uh, death metal because anytime he gets to take a jab at Scott Snyder, he does. Death metal was one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever read in my life. <laughs> I tried to, I read the first issue. It was free on Comixology. And mm -hmm. uh, I just, I, I didn't get what was going on. I felt like I missed like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you needed 20... to read about 50 books before you read the first yeah. issue of death metal to understand probably the first three pages and then there's another 60 books yeah but then they that. had the nerve like after the third issue of death metal to come out with a one shot that kind of covered everything that you should have known beforehand and it was like right. why didn't you release the one shot first like that doesn't yeah. make any that's what, sense that's what, happened with, that's what happened with empire marvel released like saw two zero yeah. issues uh one for the avengers and one for fantastic four so you could read those and then read the first issue and actually yeah. even if you hadn't read those two zero issues um the first issue had been written so well of empire that actually you understood what was going on um and i haven't read fantastic four and avengers for years so to be able to pick up empire issue one and just jump straight in anyway look, i have been dissing scott snyder here but he actually did write a really good first issue of noctira and i i do love the whole darkness thing and sort of this this sort of you know i always love apocalyptic type storylines and and i think it was done really well it's good world building here and, um, and <clears throat> i i do really love tony daniel's art so well surprisingly my recommendation this week is not an anime or a manga um at the end of february marvel released marvel voices legacy number one which was part of their like black history month offering 
So it was a bunch of stories from Black artists who got to choose which characters they wanted to write about. So there's there's probably seven, six or seven stories in this issue. My my favorite one is from Stephanie Williams and Natasha Bustos. It is called Panic at the Supermarket. It's so cute. It is uh, basically like the Avengers, but like new Avengers. So it's a uh, uh, Monica Rambo, Thor, She Hulk. They're shopping because it is Monica Rambo's father's 60th birthday, and he promised to make the Avengers gumbo. And Thor is super excited to have gumbo for the first time. And so, like, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, my God, how hilarious would it be to have Thor come over to your house to have gumbo? Like, I'm sure Thor has no idea what gumbo is. Um, it's really cute. Like, this, sto- this story, it's only six pages. Like, but it's it's so fun. It's really cute. Um, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, that's, that's my recommendation. Or actually, it's only four pages. So uh, Marvel Voices, Legacy One, pick, th- pick that up. It's, it's full of fun stories. And <clears throat> I'm going to throw you guys a curveball. Initially, I was going to suggest Young Justice on HBO Max. Um, it's an awesome series if you like that kind of thing. But I think actually uh, Jupiter, Jupiter's Legacy, um, I've been watching the trailers on Netflix and really kind of curious about it. Uh, Mark Miller, if you're not familiar with him, he has similar sensibilities to Garth Ennis, the guy who created The Boys, um, has kind of that <clears throat> that course uh, rough and tumble um, approach to superheroes. Um, this one, it, it just, it uh, really compelled me because of the combination of his work and Frank Quietly. Um, Frank Quietly is one of the most um, amazing artists in comics right now, I believe. He, uh, his all-star Superman is um, one of the, one of the, the most beautifully illustrated mainstream comics out there. Um, oh, when just, he did New, New X-Men, when he did the New X-Men with yeah. um, Grant Morrison, that was, that was yep. amazing. Yeah, and his design work, his textures, everything is so, so uh, fleshy and lumpy, <laughs> but it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but you know, like his design work is is just phenomenal. He, uh, like the he redesigned the Parasite for All Star Superman. Anyway, Jupiter's Legacy. I'm really excited to dig into it more. I just started on it, and uh, I I really like it. It's compelling. Um, it's an interesting take on kind of a um, <clears throat> superheroes over a long period of time. Uh, so. That's what I'm reading right now, and I'm I'm enjoying it. So, I think this is the first time we've all recommended comics for the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, do you know? Because um, Stephen texted me a couple of days ago about Jupiter's Legacy, and I was like, actually, I did see the pictures of um, Jupiter's Legacy, and I shared them on our Insta actually, and um, I, it did give me the boys kind of feel um, mm-hmm. from the pictures. I haven't seen the trailer, but. Um, I actually now would like to read Jupiter's Legacy. I'd never really been interested before, but I think Jupiter's Legacy would appeal to me more. The comics have, would appeal to me more than The Boys, which I've not read The Boys. Um, have you read The Boys? Yeah, it's uh, The Boys is pretty harsh. Uh, this doesn't match that. This doesn't match that for rawness. I mean, honestly, the comic is is even more raw than the Amazon series for The Boys. Really? Um, yeah, oh, yeah, actually, no, I had heard about... Um, I had heard about so because in the first episode of the boys where um, I forget her name Starlight is sexually yeah. assaulted. I, I've heard that's actually done by pretty much the entire team in the first book, like rather than just one character. Um, yeah, and it's which, yeah. So the funny thing is, if you've seen the Amazon show, you would be shocked to hear that it can get 
more <laughs> severe, but it, yeah. I, and the funny, sorry, I know we're wrapping up, but <laughs> Garth Ennis, um, as a writer does not love superheroes and it's his big slap in the face to the genre to a degree. Um, anyway, it's, it's, he did preacher so. too, right? Uh huh. I actually think preacher is really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> He's, I, uh, for my money, Garth Ennis is a more subtle, um, sophisticated writer than Mark Miller. Mark Miller tends to be a little more um, in your face, mm-hmm. and Quentin Tarantino-esque. Ah. Not that there's anything wrong with Quentin Tarantino, but <laughs> anyway. I love Quentin Tarantino. I mean, uh, and his, he fil- loves his films. Yeah, and he loves me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, all, we often speak. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, next week we will be reviewing uh, two movies. The first of which is coming to America too, or coming to America. Um, and then we will be continuing our monster movie uh, run, and we'll be reviewing Kong Skull Island. And don't forget, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fifth late to the party book club episode was March. Book one by Andrew Iden and John Lewis. That episode dropped at the end of February and uh, our book club is going to be taking a break for the month of March, but we will be back in April where we're headed to Neo Tokyo, where we are going to take on Akira volume one by oh. Katsuhiro Otomo. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you read it? No, I've, the anime I've seen over and over and over. Oh, okay. Um... Volume one is super thick. Like it is, it is a massive book. Oh, that's how manga do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can follow all of us on social media, Geeks Unleashed, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We've also got our own Instas and Twitters and stuff like that. So mine, I'm on Twitter as Mark Brassington. Um, and you guys, what are you on Instas and Twitters? Uh, I am on socials at Fiore Bianca. Yeah, and I'm just fox storytelling everywhere. So, well, just the the, the fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, and honestly, don't forget you can listen to Geeks Unleashed, uh, the podcast anywhere podcasts can be found on uh, Podbean, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, <clears throat> Please give us a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode and just make sure to share it with anybody that you think might enjoy it. Uh, we're looking to grow and any help you can give us, it's much appreciated. Yeah. You love us. We love you. That's how this works. And Quentin loves you too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, have a good week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.